0: Good morning. Uh, My name's Paul Cruthers. I'm part of the ministry team at the church here. It's great to have you here. Welcome also to those who are joining with us online this morning or perhaps uh, catching up throughout the week. It's great to have you with us as well. Now, I love the Olympic Games. Does anyone here enjoy watching the Olympic Games? Yeah, they, and, and I, I, there's something about them. I mean, The fact that it's once every four years, I guess, they don't come that often. Although we're in a little strange window at the moment as a result of COVID where there's only going to be a three-year gap. So it sort of feels like just last year that the Olympics were on, though it was 2021. And then next year, uh, they're coming at us again in 2024. Now, one of the great stories to come out of the Olympic Games in 2021, from an Australian perspective anyway, was that of Nicola McDermott, or as she's now known, Nicola Ollislagas. Now, Nicola is a very strong Christian person. You may well know that. I encourage you to look her up. Google Nicola because she's got a great testimony of faith. But Nicola is a fantastic high jumper. In fact, she won the silver medal at the last Olympic Games and at the next Olympic Games, she'll be going for gold. Now, uh, Nicola's incredible because she's she's 1.86 centimetres tall. No, that's not quite right. She's 1.86 metres tall. That would be quite amazing if she was like this big, (laughs) wouldn't it? But, but, but one. I mean, that's a very high jump, isn't it? But, but 1.86, 1, 1.86 metres tall um, puts her about this much taller than me. So she's quite tall. And yet her best jump is over 2 metres, 2.02 metres. It's 16 centimetres higher than her actual height. It's extraordinary that you can actually jump. A human being can jump that high over a bar. Now the history of the high jump's fascinating because it's a relatively recent phenomenon. Unlike uh, some other events that we uh, love at the Olympic Games, for example, the marathon or the wrestling, or, or one or two other events which have uh, a, a carryover from from ancient uh, Greco-Roman times, uh, the, the high jump's a relatively new event. In fact, it was only in the 19th century that the Scots, actually those from Scotland, decided it would be a good idea to see how high they could jump over a bar. Go figure. I don't know why you would even think that's a good idea. But, but the, 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 int- the interesting thing about the high jump is that initially it was just like you, you have to step over the bar. you know, and, and, and they sort of did this scissor jump. And then in the 1960s, there was a guy by the name of Dick Frosby. Uh, and Dick Frosby came along and said, no, I think there's a better way. And he went over sort of backwards. It became known as the Frosby flop. And that allows the high jumpers to get higher up over the bar, even jumping over their actual height. It's an incredible event. Now, one of the sayings that's come into our vernacular over the last hundred years as a result of the high jump is the saying, raise the bar. Uh, We need to raise the bar. Because in the high jump, you know, initially it was this high and then over the last hundred years it's got higher and higher and higher. Uh, And I think the men now are up almost at 2.3 metres or something of that like. But it's fascinating, this saying, it's become part of our everyday vernacular, the raise the bar, we need to raise the bar, we need to raise the bar in business, we need to raise the bar as a society, whatever you hear it all the time, we need to raise the bar. And the question that I'm coming at it today as we open up God's word, as we continue in our series in 1 Timothy, is what does it look like for us as a church to be raising the bar? Let's go to it. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 to 16. This is a bit of a quirky passage, actually. And so as I read the passage out, you're allowed to gasp at times, even laugh or snigger, I don't mind. Um, We're going to explain it and work through it as we go on. Uh, But this is Paul uh, speaking to Timothy, who is leading the church of Ephesus. And Paul's addressing a specific issue in the church of Ephesus, and that's how do we care for widows? How do we care for those people that have experienced significant and deep loss? How do we care for those people that are confronting difficult life circumstances or even have trauma in their lives at this point in time? And this is what he said. Verse 9, he says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in need, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, Paul says. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry and thus they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house and not only do they become idlers but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. It's a bit of a quirky passage, isn't it? It seems like this passage, there's a list and you sort of have to qualify to be on the list and one of the qualifications is your age. So if you're under 60, bad luck. What is Paul actually saying here? Well, I think there's three things I'm going to draw from this passage today. Three things that I think help us as a church, as we look to provide care for those around us who are facing difficult circumstances, three things that help us to raise the bar. The first word is belonging. Belonging. It's really fascinating that in Paul's day and in Jesus' day, just a few decades beforehand, to become a widow was basically to become destitute, especially if you were an older widow and there was no social welfare net within society. There were no means for you to be cared for and so you became a burden on those around you. And for the older widow in Paul's day, it was a little bit like you're alive, but you were basically dead. And here Paul's saying is that, no, 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 we have to care for the widows. It's really fascinating to me that in Acts chapter 6... We have the description of the very early church and, and the disciples. They're overwhelmed with the needs of, of people around them as the church is growing explosively. And so they start to organise themselves. And what's the first thing they do when they start to organise themselves? It's to care for the widows. What Paul is saying here to Timothy is you have to go completely against the grain of your culture. Because these are a people who are not to be outsiders. These are a people that that must belong, that must be a part of what you are and what you're doing. It's fascinating to me that in verse 10, Paul goes on to describe some of the characteristics of of the widows that are not just belonging to the church, but are also contributing to the church. He talks about it. That, you know, they're well known for their good deeds. They show hospitality. They wash the feet. They serve others. They help those in trouble. And he says it again. They devote themselves to all kinds of good deeds. It would appear here, Uh, that maybe even there's a a particular role in mind that Paul had for widows. In fact, in the early church, there was even a specific order made up of those that were widows that could care for others and demonstrate God's love for others. See, this is not just a, a sense of belonging where you get cared for but it's a sense of engagement of involvement of 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 giving opportunity of, of of you know life continues one of the things that i think is unique about the church in today's society is that we are a group of people who are so incredibly diverse and yet we come together I know in the other parts of society that I'm involved in, other community groups and so on, that it's almost like when there's a loss or when there's something that happens that, you know, that, that's tra- tragic or, or traumatic or, or whatever the case might be, but the people in those groups don't actually know how to care. And it's so awkward and difficult at times that, that, that the person that is experiencing that loss actually experiences a great sense of loneliness and isolation in that. And yet though the church is not perfect, and though we don't get this right all the time, our posture is different. Our posture is one of inclusion, of one of embrace, that is wanting to hold those who are suffering great loss. This diversity to me in the church is a bit like a garden, I think. Now, I'm in the process of uh, building a home, Kate and I are building a home, my wife and I are not actually building it, um, we're getting someone else to do that, that would be crazy, but but we're getting someone else to build our home, we're about halfway there, and, and, and it's a blank canvas, we don't have any plants in the garden other than one tree and a lot of weeds, uh, and so we're looking forward to getting in to the garden. now. I've done this two times before in two houses that we've bought previously where we started from scratch and we started a garden from scratch. And I've learned that when it comes to me and Kate, I am the one that does what I'm told. Kate's the one that puts all the ideas and the, the thoughts together because she's really creative. And she has this beautiful way of imagining in her own mind, you know, what something could look like as she draws different plants and and different aspects of design together. And over the previous two gardens that we've created, something of great beauty has been created. Now, what happens in a garden, and you can see a couple of photos I've got up there, they're not my gardens, actually, I wish, but not my gardens, just a couple of photos I pulled, but it gives you the idea. Lots of different plants, lots of different colours, Lots of design, whether it's curved edge, whether it's open space, whether it's garden windows that you look through and create apertures There's all sorts of different things going on. But what's happening is there's this amazing diversity of things coming together into a whole that is something of great beauty. And that's what happens when we as a church create belonging. And our diversity becomes our greatest strength. So we need to create places of belonging. There's also something else going on in this passage and that's that there's administration happening here. You see, we we do see this, don't we? In verse 11, Paul does say, "For, for younger widows, don't put them on the list. And what's Paul saying here? And it feels somewhat harsh, actually, when you read some of his language around this. He's saying, you know, they're busybodies. They talk nonsense. I mean, really, Paul? Could have you been a bit more tactful? I'm not sure. But but, but you know, he sort of seems like he's having a bit of a go. Now, now, but there's no doubt Paul's addressing a specific issue that was happening in the Ephesus church at the time. And there was an issue happening amongst those who had been widowed where they were becoming dependent on the church a- and even using the goodwill. Uh, but, but, but what was happening was not really that helpful and at times was even harmful. And so Paul's addressing a specific issue here. But, but what's really fascinating about this for me is that when you look at Paul throughout all of the New Testament and you look at his writings, what we find often is that Paul is a bit of an idealist. Paul's actually lifting our eyes often. Uh, Not so much on what is, but on what could be. And you look at some of the greatest writings of Paul, and I'm thinking like of 1 Corinthians and the passages on love, and and you you read them and you think, this guy is amazing. He writes incredibly, so gifted, so inspired by God. And, And it lifts us, it lifts us to an ideal. But in this passage, Paul's no longer being an idealist, he's being a realist. He's recognising that the church doesn't have unlimited capacity or resource. It can't just help every single person. Decisions need to be made. There's another thing that's happening here in this passage that I think is really important to highlight, and that is that Paul is addressing one of the greatest missiological challenges of our day. And I know Mark and Lyra would be able to attest to that. And that is how do we present the good news of Jesus to those who face very difficult and challenging life circumstances in a way that they are becoming people of faith in sincerity and with genuineness and not as a result of the fact that it's a free feed for them. And one of the things that's happened over the last hundred years or so as we've studied the modern mission movement, Uh, There's a phrase, a somewhat disturbing phrase that's come up called uh, rice Christians. Uh, And the idea is that uh, many people in in missionaries, they would go overseas and they would um, hand out food to those who were in need of great food. But it would be conditional on them becoming part of the church and becoming people of faith. And they would hand out rice and then they would report back saying, we've got all these people coming to faith, isn't it great? And yet those that have studied it since can say and attest to the gospel never really took root in those environments. Now I sat down with Mark and Lyra a couple of months ago and I know that that's not how they operate. And Mark and Lyra even attested to that this morning when they described how they're training up leaders. It's not about them, it's actually empowering people to reach out and to share God's news with others. One of the things I love about our church is the ministry of New Peninsula Community Caring Inc. And this is a tension that I know our guys at CCI walk through of how do we genuinely help people? How do we introduce Jesus to them? but do so in a way that is not creating dependencies. You see, administration is actually really important. It helps the gospel to take root in a way that is lasting and a way that continues far beyond us. So we've got belonging, we've got administration, and finally, we've got responsibility. And that is that As a church, every church has a special responsibility to care for those who have suffered loss, who are facing difficult times, who are in the midst of grief. We have, as a church, a special responsibility. It's clear in this passage. We could go back to, to verse 5, which Josh would have touched on last week, where it says we need to give proper recognition to the widows. But you can look at chapter 5 here in its entirety, and there's no doubt, no doubt, that we as a church have a special responsibility towards those who have suffered loss, towards those who are grieving. And so maybe... God is saying to us today as we open up his word, he's saying, let's raise the bar here. Let's raise the bar. Now, I've been a pastor for 20 years and I don't know everything. In fact, I think I know a lot less than I knew 20 years ago when I was just starting out. But I have learnt one or two things. And in 20 years of partial experience, I've been able to observe and also care for a number of people who have suffered loss along the way. And I just want to unpack quickly some of those learnings when it comes to how we can care for others who are going through this journey of grief and loss. The first one is that we simply need to be present Uh, We need to be present. You see, often when something uh, uh, tragic happens or, or people face difficult circumstances, when the immediateness of that happens, it's very easy to jump in. And that is a good and appropriate response, to jump in, to care, to be there, all of that sort of stuff. But where the church needs to be different is that we need to be present not just in the immediate but we need to be present with consistency. It's not just about the two or three weeks after, it's about the two or three months, it's about the two or three years, it's about the two or three decades in some instances. And So we need to have an active presence, but it's it's a non-judgmental presence, It's, it's actually quite a quiet presence. It's just a presence, but it's a presence where we are the conduit of God's love of his presence, of his grace. But it's really important that we are present. The second thing that I've learned is that we need to be patient. We need to be patient. And in my experience of journeying with those that have suffered great loss in their lives, their responses and their journey is actually often quite unique. And I'll just give you one example to highlight this. For some who may have been part of a church community such as this over many years, even decades, it becomes really challenging to immerse yourself or continue to immerse yourself in a community such as this after you've lost a loved one because it raises up so many memories and it's so difficult to be in that place. And we've got to be really careful that when we observe that happening, we've got to be patient with these people. Don't be judgmental. Be patient. Recognise the difficulty of the experience. But equally, there are those whose journey is the opposite. Where coming and being part of the community of faith is what sustains them, what keeps them going. It's so important them for them to be there and they'll be here every single week because it's such a significant part of their weekly spiritual rhythm. As an aside, I think one of the greatest things that's coming out of our online church is the ability to connect and meet the needs of all people, no matter what stage of the journey they're at and no matter what, uh, how unique their journey is, especially around grief. So we've got to be present, we've got to be patient, and finally we've got to be prayerful. in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 it talks about a peace that tr- transcends all understanding and the best thing i think we can do in addition to being present and being patient the best thing we can do is actually be praying to be praying that those that we know that we care for that we love who are experiencing loss would we'll be praying that that god's peace would transcend all understanding. Now I know this, I've shared this before but when Kate's brother was 28 and he died in tragic circumstances and we were, we were lost, incredibly difficult time, probably the hardest time of our life, we'd only been married a year and I can remember for months Holding Kate as she's crying herself to sleep. And in that time, there are a number of people that reached out to us, and that was wonderful and that was great. And that really helped. But what's helped us the most to navigate that really difficult and painful time? Where you only can start talking about it, as you can see, tears flow couple of decades later. But what helps us, especially on those significant dates, anniversaries and the like, Christmas, Easter, those sort of things, what helps us is that we keep coming to Jesus. And we have found in him a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is a difficult passage in many ways. I wish uh, the passage was more up, you know, (laughs) but not every passage is. And one of the disciplines for us of preaching through books of the Bible, like we often do, is that we get to these passages and they often open up things for us that we wouldn't usually go to and places where we wouldn't usually go. But this is really important. And for us as a community of faith, I want to say we need to raise the bar. We need to learn to be present and to be patient and to be prayerful. But I want to finish by speaking to those who, I guess, are in this space at the moment. And it doesn't just have to be that you've lost a loved one, though that may be your, your experience at the moment. It could be that you've lost a job, that you've lost a friendship, a family members walked away. We can experience loss in all sorts of different ways. But I want to finish you with a story of Jesus in Luke chapter 7. It's the story of the widow of name. Here is a woman who has lost her husband and that makes life hard enough as I've already explained. But not only has she lost her husband, she's now also lost a son. And she's walking along and she's encountered by Jesus. And Jesus Caesar. and he brings healing to her son in fact he raises her son back to life it's not just the restoration of the life of the son that's happening here it's the restoration of her own life as well because she was previously destitute but now she is no longer because her son is back to life and can care for her And there's this little phrase in verse 13 of this passage in Luke chapter 7. And to those who are experiencing loss at the moment, this is what I believe Jesus would say to you today. He saw her and his heart went out to her. Jesus sees you and his heart goes out to you. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much in this passage. A difficult and a quirky passage in many ways, but yet it challenges us, encourages us to to raise the bar to be different from every other organisation in our community, to be a people where we know how to sit in those moments of difficulty and challenge with others. Help us to raise the bar, Lord, to be a people who can be patient, to be a people who can be present, to be a people who can be prayerful. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are navigating seasons of grief at this time. And Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, that very gentle, quiet, still, loving, and yet powerful Spirit, Help us to be aware, Lord, I pray, of your loving presence. Help us to experience your peace which surpasses all understanding. Help us to know and experience your joy and your love at this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.